First in the morning, SAFM Sunrise with Stephen Grutis. Well, confirmation from the Electricity Minister, Honsienzo Ramakope, yes, sir, that government is now going to start the process to procure 2,500 megawatts of nuclear-powered electricity. In other words, we will buy at least one big nuclear power station and probably a smaller nuclear reactor, a modular reactor. At the moment, the only nuclear power station we have is Kuburg. It has two reactors. was built in the 1970s. I think it started operating in 1984. Nuclear power has certain advantages. It's always on. It's very reliable, normally. Environmental campaigners say that the waste they produce is incredibly hazardous and that there are other cheaper systems to use. Dave Nichols is the chair of the Nuclear Energy Corporation of South Africa and former and formerly the chief nuclear officer at Eskom. In other words, he's someone who spent his life in the nuclear power industry. Dave, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Stephen. Firstly, this is not a short-term project. This doesn't get us out of load shedding now. It's a long-term project. To build a new nuclear reactor takes about 10 years. Why is it such a long process? Oh, um, I think, first of all, you've got to be careful that, that any major project of this scale it tends to be longer than people give it credit for. So we talk about natural gas being quicker, but that we're going to build pipelines and everything else. The 10 years is probably made up of about two years of uh, contract discussions. In other words, requests for proposals, uh, getting, getting the financing, all those things sorted out. And then um, about eight years from when you actually sign the first contract to when you actually get the plant online. And then probably about between the signing of the contract about three years of preparation, two to three years preparation of getting the legal, getting the licensing sorted out, um, getting the industry ready to build it, and then about five years of actual physical construction on site. That's the sort of schedule you're talking about. Um, they're very big projects. Um, so that's the schedule. Once you get going and you're building, when you've built and established the industry and established the, the, the local, you're probably down to a lesser time, but it's... Right, Dave Nichols, we're battling to hear you but a little. Five bit. years from when you move on site of the bulldozers. Oh, sorry, is right. that better? Yeah, I think let's see if we can actually uh, phone you rather than uh, speak to you in the way that we were. It might just uh, be slightly better. Sorry about this. As you know, from time to time, uh, we do have this problem. You can never really be sure which uh, lines and which uh, systems are going to work and which aren't. So uh, let's see if we can improve uh, that line for you and just get a better reception for you to try and understand exactly how all of this process works. So we're going to continue this conversation um, and just uh, you know continue with it in this particular way to try and find out a little bit more about how uh, these new nuclear energy situations work. Dave Nichols, I think, back with us now. Dave, we'll try it on this line. Thank you. I realize it's the very 20th century. Um, That's fine. Some old things still work. (laughs) As I understand it, there are only five countries that really build these reactors. It's Russia, France, the United States, South Korea, and China. Are there big differences between the types of technology or the types of reactor that they use and produce? Okay, all um, if you look at the large reactors and, and uh, the, the ones in construction today, they're um, they're all the same basic technology. They're very similar to Kuberg. So yes, from a distance they all look the same. Clearly, close up their their detailed differences. Um, well, the biggest difference uh, for us would be the fact that the largest one of those is 1,700 megawatts a unit, which is the French one. And the smallest ones are about 1,100 megawatts a unit. So most of them are about 1,200 megawatts a unit, but there are, there are bigger ones. But it's just fundamentally very similar machines. Very, 
almost the same safety standards across the world. The nuclear industry is very consistent on safety standards. So they all meet the modern safety standards very closely, very similarly. So then the decision about which one we would go with, does it become about the financing? So a nuclear power station costs a lot of money at the beginning and a lot of money at the beginning. Does it become about the financing and the reliable supply of the fuel, which is a sort of uranium? Okay, um, the fuel supply has never really been an issue on nuclear power stations. Um, I've never known of a nuclear station that's not been able to get the fuel. Um, it's a long-term issue. The biggest, yeah, the biggest issue, the two big issues in terms of who you would select, one is clearly the, 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 the cost of the plant, and the other one you'll like is the financing package that goes with the plant. Um, it's, just, it's exactly like buying a, mo- not, buying a motor car. When you, you know when you when you when you go into the car dealership, you're both looking at what what the, the, the car meet your specifications. Um, secondly, is um, what's the financing package to go with it, and what's the cost of it? And how important is the sort of geopolitics of this? I mean, if you look at our situation, we know the the Russian nuclear SOE Rosatom was very involved in a sort of you know wanting to do a deal before. Um, we have a complicated relationship with the United States. We have an intriguing relationship with China. Um, who's the most likely candidate? Would it be a Russian reactor in the end? Well, I, I wouldn't want to comment who's the most likely reactor. I, I can comment on who is currently the major players. At the moment, as of today, the Russians are building about 80% of the export reactors in the world. Um, they are by far the dominant player. Rosatom is the biggest player. They're building the reactors in, in, in Egypt, four in Egypt, four in um, Turkey. They're building two in Bangladesh. So they're, they're, and there's a whole part more. They're the most dominant. Um, the Chinese are the biggest domestic builders. They're building in China a lot, and they have some export deals, but mainly with Pakistan. Um, so they're highly credible. Um, South Koreans have just finished commissioning the four units in, in Braca, in UAE. So they're very good in the export market. The, um, at the moment, probably the biggest problem with the Americans and the French is that their actual track record in the, in the last decade or so of finishing off nuclear stations has not been that good. Um, the horror stories of stations being over budget and late, largely relate to ones being done by the, by the US um, or France. Um, so want to see what the bids look like, but what would tend towards the ones who've got who've got practice and experience in building plants successfully. The electricity minister himself, Jose Ancelotti, yesterday was asked about the cost per kilowatt hour of electricity. He said currently, solar is costing around fifty cents per kilowatt hour. Wind is eighty-seven cents. A diesel-powered gas turbine, of course, is a lot more than that. Five rand eighty cents. He suggested that nuclear is around sixty cents. And I realize that you work in the nuclear industry. So, Dave, if solar is cheaper, why should we use nuclear? Well, there's a famous bumper sticker, solar's all right, but nuclear does it all night. Um, and the answer is that when you look at the, the most interesting discussion and, uh, on the costs of I call modern technologies is the um, recent bidding for the renewable, the REIPP and the which was uh, purely looking at what suppliers with solar or with wind. And that was coming in about the, the 60 cents, 50 cents that he's talking about. 
But then there was in parallel the famous risk mitigation IPP program, which was largely won by the um, uh, car power ships. I'm not going to that little that hole. But what's interesting is that was a requirement for power that met the demand of the grid, i.e. from five in the morning till nine at night. And that came in, the bids on that one, which included renewables with backup, came in at something like four times the price of straight renewables. So the problem that we're sitting with is the problem of storage. If you're going to make renewables work and you're going to replace dispatchable plant with them. You've got to make some way of actually storing energy cost-effectively. And no one in the world has come close to getting that, that, that right. So if you want dispatchable power, low-carbon dispatchable power, in other words, meeting the needs of the grid, you've got two energy sources in the world that do that, only two. One of those is large-scale hydro, and one is nuclear. And we have not got any water. So if your 2050 target is to have um, a low carbon grid, then you're stuck with, in this country, with building nuclear plant um, as the only logical way forward for, 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 for dispatchables. Now, there may be some breakthroughs in the next few years in technologies, but no one's got anything on the table at the moment. Dave Nichols, thank you very much indeed, Chair of the Nuclear Energy Corporation of South Africa and uh, former Chief Nuclear Officer at Eskom, as you can hear, a supporter of nuclear energy. You're with SAFM 19 minutes after 7. Mohamed Mahdi is an energy expert. He joins us now. Mohamed, good morning to you. I quite like the bumper sticker. Solar is all right, but nuclear is all night. It is dispatchable. In other words, it's always on. Do we need 2,500 megawatts of nuclear power? We said, uh, good morning, uh, Stephen. We certainly need two and a half thousand megawatts and more of base load power. So no, no question about that, no doubt about that as a country. However, with nuclear, two and a half thousand megawatts sounds a lot to all of us, but it isn't a lot. You know, I was in the nuclear industry. I was CEO of the, the largest nuclear energy company in the world uh, about 14 years ago when this country was embarking on a nuclear program before the Russians got involved, I should add. And had we done nuclear at that point, we were contemplating about 9.6 gigawatts of nuclear power. That is the kind of scale where it starts making sense, or at that point it made sense for the country. And part of the reason is you have what we call localization. So when you put enough nuclear power in, you are able to then kickstart the local industry and reduce dependency on the international players. But if you go too small, if you don't do it at scale, you, you don't have enough to start a local industry, uh, a local industry in terms of the supply chain, in terms of various other activities from the operations and maintenance that are required in the nuclear industry. And so what happens is you become beholden to the entities that build the nuclear power plants. So that is the first problem that we have with the size that, that is being spoken about or you know that, that we are going to proceed with. And the second problem is, of course, the cost. So, uh, you know, the, the exact cost, I think no one can state with certainty that it's going to be 60 cents or any, any number. And the simple reason for that is there isn't enough of a database to draw from. The, the nuclear power costs in different parts of the world are all over the place. Um, you know, I know, the, I know the plants in Finland and in France extremely well, and I know the overruns that occurred there. I know the plants that are being built in the Middle East and in the Far East. So, and, and, and the price varies. So there's no way that we can pin down what the price is going to be. But if you take the, the, the overall cost of nuclear, 
it's certainly not going to be cheaper than what renewable is going to be 10 or 15 years from now. And I'm talking of renewable that has the capacity to be dispatchable and to provide effective baseload power. Well, I was going to ask, so if you were, if we were sitting in 1953 rather than in 2023, in 1953 we could probably see this is how much power we're going to need, and the only way really to do it would have been sort of nuclear was starting then, but would have been for us coal power. Um, now, technologies are moving so quickly, is it much harder to try and decide what kind of power we will be needing in 10 to 20 years' time? And it may take us 10 years to build the nuclear power station, but we're planning here for the next 50 years. Sure. Look, we have a number of trends that we can call upon. One example of that is the cost of renewable energy, and this has dropped over five-fold. So five, you know, 100% over the last 10 years. Then we have the cost of battery energy storage, which similarly is now dropping at a phenomenal rate. So there are already instances where certain tariffs of ESCOM make it possible for clients to have battery energy storage with solar 24-7 and still be cheaper than the ESCOM tariff. Admittedly, those ESCOM tariffs are fairly high. So if you look at those trends, it's fairly obvious that 10 to 15 years from now, nuclear will not be competitive with renewable energy. And one simply has to look at the scale of investment and the scale of progress in renewable uh, energy technology, compare that to the investment in nuclear and it's worlds apart. It is clear that renewable energy is going to be the dominant form of energy 10 to 15 years from now. The second major trend very quickly that we need to understand is that we are moving to an era of decentralization. So you will have decentralized smaller power plants. You won't have these centralized power plants. Right now, we see that in our industry, in our commercial industrial industry in this country, a large number of companies are building on-site power plants and doing so at a cheaper cost, producing power at a cheaper cost than what they can get from ESCOM or from the municipality. So when you take that trend into account, I would hate for us to have a situation 15 years from now where we have decentralized power plants becoming the norm or, or rather being the norm, and then you have these huge centralized power plants uh, with very little you know, takeoff uh, for them. Now, 2,500 megawatts is not going to be lost by any stretch of the imagination, but that's not enough to go nuclear. The size we need to go nuclear, I think, is risky for us. So these are the, the, the dilemma that we face with nuclear. There's so many elements to all of this. I mean, when you talk about decentralization, it's entirely possible that companies, uh, office blocks, um, even suburban blocks will be producing power for themselves. Is that what you're suggesting over time? Absolutely. Well, you know, the term we like to use is a prosumer, so a consumer and a producer. So, uh, and at one time, they would be using the power that they have in the power plants. And at different times, when they're not using the full capacity, they would be putting it onto the grid and making it available to others. So aside from the fact that we would have this trend of increasing power plants on site, and we see it right now, we see it in this country, you just have to look at ESCOM's uh, revenue base and their market share, and it is declining, declining uh, you know, quite rapidly because of the large uptake of renewable energy power plants. And in the last year and a half, a trend that you know, everyone has not yet wrapped their heads around is battery energy storage has just you know, grown in leaps and bounds. And the amount of battery energy storage being implemented certainly is going to have a very significant impact on ESCOM's 
overall market share. Mohamed Mahdi, thank you very much indeed. Energy expert, really appreciate the time. Wasn't aware of your history in the nuclear energy in, in industry. Thank you very much indeed.